Greetings and salutations. Oh, my magic. Little glasses here make it a little easier to see the computer screen. Uh, my name is Paige. Welcome to another episode of The Bible, Coffee, and Me. Today, we're going to be taking a little sojourn into my conspiracy theory laden mind. Um, I woke up at 4 30 this morning thinking about Judas, because that's who we're going to read about today. Uh, and at the end of the Last Supper, and Jesus' interaction with Judas, I'm like, and I started wondering, gosh, who was Judas? And so I just kind of took a little bit of a deep dive into some deep waters, trying to figure out who this character was. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I have no idea exactly... Uh, where this is going to take me. Uh, I have an idea kind of what I want to say. So let's get started. We're in John chapter 13, so let's just get started with the scripture right away. All right, he had just got, he had just finished uh, washing the disciples' feet. And he says, and he's continuing on. He says, uh, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me. Whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. And after he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss, to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple, to this disciple, asking him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought maybe Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. Okie doke. What in the world is this all about? Well, we all know the story. You know, Judas would betray Jesus in the garden, and uh, which would lead ultimately to um, Jesus's uh, death on the cross. 
the first thought that occurred to me that puzzled me I know those whom I, I know those whom I have chosen this could he could be saying that Judas is one of the ones he had chosen and in a sense yeah Jesus did choose the 12 and one of them was Judas which would say that Jesus did choose Judas kind of a puzzlement isn't it that he would choose purposefully the one who is going to betray him and be the catalyst to his death on the cross so the first thought that comes to mind is Jesus was totally and completely in charge of everything in his life. Jesus didn't have a plan B. God does not have a plan B. God doesn't have several paths chosen just in case you don't like that one. So maybe he can put you on this one. Or if you don't like that one, he can put you over on that path. No, it's always been plan A from the very, very beginning. So if that's the case, then you'd have to say Jesus chose Judas knowing that he was choosing the person who was going to betray him. This kept Jesus in charge the whole time. The enemy has been chasing after Jesus from the very beginning. Herod the king tried to kill him when he was a baby under two years old uh, back in Bethlehem. And since he started his ministry after John the Baptist, the religious community had decided they were going to kill him. They were planning to kill him for the last two to three years. So this would fit the narrative to me. Jesus chose his betrayer because Jesus is the one that's in charge, not Satan. It says here, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, this would also suggest to me that perhaps Judas didn't intend to see Jesus dead. Satan had to enter into him to get him to take that final step. All right, I, that's a possibility. Because we see, if you look at Matthew's gospel, after they had taken Jesus away to, to uh, be condemned, to be killed, Judas took the 30 pieces of silver they'd given him and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And he threw the money at them and walked away and then went and killed himself. So Judas was a conflicted person, I believe. Now, let's take a little bit of a deep dive here into my theory conspiracy way of thinking sometimes. Who was Judas? There's two trains of thought on this. One, Judas's surname is more probably a corruption of the Latin Sicarius, murderer or assassin, than an indication of a, a family origin, suggesting that he would have belonged to the Sicarii, the more most radical Jewish group, some of which were terrorists. There was a very nationalistic fervor in Israel focused against Rome. And there was a movement called, a group of people called the Zealots. And within the group of zealots, there were actual assassins, apparently, called the Sicarii. And so it's possible Judas Iscariot, Iscariot is a variant of that term Sicarii. Usually surnames back then 
had a lot to do with identifying where you're from or what you do. Where I grew my name, Garwood, I have an ancestor way back long, 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 long time ago in Southern England, whose name was Gar. That was his, that was his name, Gar. And he was a keeper of a lord's forest, kind of like a forest service guy. Um, and that area where he grew up, where he lived, became known as Gar's Wood. So Garwood. My surname has to do with where my ancestor came from and what what my ancestor did. He was a keeper of the wood. Gar's Wood. So Judas, if his if it's a corruption of the Latin Sicarius, then this indicates what he did. And he might have been part of the zealots and might actually have been and a part of the, the special group within the zealots called the Sicari or an assassin. Now, this would fit into my uh, theory of what if Judas was a plant? We knew that shortly after John the Baptist, the religious community was were starting to plot the death of Jesus. Hmm. What would you do? Put yourself in their shoes. What would you do if you were in an organ if you were part of an organization and somebody else was deemed to be against your organization and you wanted to bring them down? Wouldn't you want to gather intel? Wouldn't you want to go get information? Track him, if you will. What better way than to insert somebody into that organization to kind of like be a spy, if you will. I could see that happening. And the other reason I think that is because of the other possibility of who Judas Iscariot was, according to Edersheim. He says, Judas Iscariot, or Ishkarioth, a man of Kerioth, a town in Judah. Thus, the betrayer alone would be of Judean origin. Everybody else comes from Galilee. So this would put Judas within the circle of the religious community. And what if, for whatever reason, he caught their attention and they hired him and he inserted himself into this group of followers, all the others being from Galilee? Now, that would kind of make sense, too, because if he was a spy or if he was helping them decide how they were going to uh, capture him and kill him, then that would make it easy to understand why he would be so distraught. Maybe in his time with Jesus, he started to come under the spell of Jesus. Words. Jesus was a very convincing speaker. And you could tell that all the arguments and debates he had with the religious leaders they never once bested him. Maybe that began to weigh on Judas. Perhaps it's a combination of these things. Who knows? If he, Judas was a, a member of the Zealots, then he could see Jesus as potentially the conquering Messiah that, uh, that he was hoping for and his movement was hoping for, to throw off the... the uh, the chains of Rome. And perhaps later on when Jesus refused to be king, maybe Judas got upset and turned him in, made some money off it, but then realized his sin and regret 
and went and, and hung himself. There's a lot here. Um, and, and this actually is what got me up at 4.30 in the morning, wondering, who is Judas? Why would he betray Jesus? He was there with them when he healed lepers, when he healed the sick, the blind, the lame. He was there when Lazarus was raised. Um, what would lead him to betray Jesus? It could have been any number of things, but you can see where my mind's going with all this stuff. And we'll never know for sure. Most of what I just shared with you is conjecture. And here's two reputable sources coming to different conclusions. One is possible that he was an assassin from the Sicaria, Sicari. And, the, and Edersheim believes it says it, his Iscariot is a variant of the word Kerioth, which means it's from a town in Judea. Either one of those. Now, in Matthew 27, it says here, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. This is kind of like previews of a coming attraction. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money away into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. So Judas, to me, is a complicated character. And there's a lot of question marks surrounding this part of the, of the narrative, part of the story, that I suppose I'll never get answered until uh, God calls me home and then I'll see everything figured out there. But I do have a couple things. Believe it or not, the story of Judas solved, in my mind, a mystery. The mystery being, and I wrestled with this when I was younger, what has precedence in our lives? Free will or the predetermined will of God? And I wrestled with that for many, 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 many years. And I would vacillate from one point of view to the other. Free will, meaning I choose. Uh, my destiny is a result of my choices. And then on the other side of it, the predetermined will of God, God's in charge. He chooses or not, totally depending on what he desires. On the one hand, I'm in charge. On the other hand, God's in charge. That's the issue. If God is in charge, then Judas was part of his plan. Now, that would make sense because Jesus had said earlier in John, when he was debating with the religious leaders, he says, I know who I am. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. That makes sense. Where was he going? He was going to the cross. He was going to be killed, hung on a cross, die, and be resurrected three days later. Incredible story. But that's where Jesus knew he was going. And he knew where he's from because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from, heaven, and he knew where he was going. He was going into the grave and then ascending to heaven again. 
So this wasn't a battle against Satan and Jesus with the outcome undetermined until one of them would win. Oh, it was Jesus. He won. No. Jesus was in control the entire time. And as cruel as it may sound, he even chose his betrayer. There was nothing of surprise in what Satan unleashed on the Lord. He was in control the entire time. That's God. And that's what finally led me, one of the things that led me to the conclusions that I have now, and the fact that God is sovereign. And nothing happens outside of his will. Now that brings up a whole bucket load of other questions about this crazy world we live in. But I'll save that for another time and place. But just know this, Jesus was in charge the entire time of this entire process. He knew where he came from. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. And Judas was part of that plan. When I was much younger, many, many years ago, I was in high school. Um, and I was a musician in high school. And the big event of the year was the Southeast Alaska Music Festival. We pointed our entire year at that event. That's going to be like a week in one of the half dozen towns in Southeast Alaska. And we would get on the state ferry and we would all ride there and go as a group. And we'd live with other people, other families in that town. And we, there were concerts and recitals and dances and all sorts of things going on. And uh, it was it was a highlight of our lives. It was also a place to meet pretty girls from other towns. This one year, we were in Juneau, Alaska. And I was going to play classical guitar at that time. And I remember looking across this one band room on a lunch break. And there was this bombshell blonde girl with the biggest blue eyes. She was like, oh, my word gorgeous. I made up my mind I was going to date her while I was there. She was going to be the one. I was a little full of myself. So I pulled out my guitar and started playing and she just got up and walked out of the room. So <laughs> I followed her into the next room, next adjoining room where she was sitting down to eat her lunch. I pulled my guitar out again. And this time, now she swears she doesn't remember this, but trust me, it happened. This time, she looked across the room at me, eyeball to eyeball, and rolled up her sack that had her lunch in it and got up and walked out. I was crushed, then a little upset. Whatever, there's other fish in the sea, I told myself. So I went to a recital that we had to go to, and I didn't know she was sitting right in front of me. And I turned to my friend at the end of the recital and said, I'm hungry, let's go get something to eat. And she turned around and said, I have some vanilla wafers. Would you like some? Well, me being snotty because this girl had, in my mind, turned me down twice. We hadn't even spoken. But I said, no, would you like a hamburger? Really snotty. And she says, no, I'm on a diet, but I'll take a milkshake. Didn't know what that meant until years later. And we went out, had lunch, fell in love. And three, two to three years later, see, it was in 74. Yeah, two years later. 76, we were married. 
Years and years later, I remember asking her, all right, what's that thing with the milkshake? She said, what do you mean? I says, when I first asked you out, you said you were on a diet, but you would take a milkshake. She says, oh, that's easy. She said, throwing a big, fat, juicy, greasy hamburger in my face just looks so disgusting. A girl, if she's sipping a drink, no matter what that drink is, it's always a little bit more demure and girly. And so that was, that's what that was about. Then she looked at me and says, oh, wait a minute. You thought you were pursuing me? Silly man. She walked off laughing. That's when I realized she was the one. She ran just fast enough to get caught. She was in charge the whole time. That's kind of what it's like here uh, with Judas and Jesus and Satan and God, all that stuff. Um, Satan is working overtime to get at Jesus. Judas is working overtime. The priests and Sadducees and and, uh, Pharisees are working overtime. And all along, Jesus is in charge. God is in charge unequivocally. He's in charge of every aspect of my life. And there's no circumstance in my life outside the purview of his control. I'm coming to the conclusion, or I've come to the conclusion, that the free will point of view exalts itself against God. Now, that doesn't mean I understand everything about everything about God's will. But anything that can thwart the will of God is suspect to me. And there was nothing accidental in what happened with Jesus. And there's nothing accidental that happens in my life. I got congestive heart failure a little over a year, year and a half ago. It's God's plan. God has put changes in my life as a result of that. My marriage to my wife. I thought I was pursuing her. No, I wasn't in charge of that process. Ultimately, God was. Prior to my becoming a Christian in boot camp, when I was at church, I didn't go to church for any godly reason. I wasn't searching for God. I had no existential crisis going on, no questions. I went to church because that was the last place my company commander would be, and I wanted to get away from him. I was not interested in God. I was not interested in God's music. I was not interested in God's word, God's message. Nothing about that interested me. It was just a place to get away from the only man on this planet who'd ever scared me. Yet I remember that moment when God's spirit fell on me. Prior to that, God's word held no attraction. After that, I was drawn to the Bible like a, like a moth to a flame. Prior to that, I could have cared less about righteousness or righteous living or holiness. After that, I put everything I did under a microscope. I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. I'm constantly working on molding my character to the image of Christ. Before that moment, none of that interested me. God changed me. In Romans, Paul lays it out very plainly. He says that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's no one that seeks after God, not even one. 
if no one's going to seek after God, and there's no one who's doing righteous, there's no one searching for God, then how does somebody find God? They don't. God finds them. Who shall save me from this body of death was Paul's big question at the end of all that. He said, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? It all looks, you look backwards, 2020 hindsight, you can see that God was in charge the entire time. So who is Judas? Don't rightly know. But I know this. Jesus, there was never a moment Jesus wasn't in charge. So how do you know if you're being chosen by God or not? I guess that would be the last question I would ask. It's real simple. Is there any attraction to the word of God, to the Bible? Do you have any attraction to the things of God at all? When I was in high school, even though I wasn't a Christian, I seemed most at home around Christians. Now, I wasn't interested in the Bible or anything, but I was attracted to Christians because I just liked being around them. Even then, God was calling me to himself. Now, if you're listening to this and there's no attraction to God's word or to God or anything of God, and this just seems like a bunch of foolishness to you, okay. I don't know what to say to that. I know that God is capable of changing. God is capable of changing you. God is capable of molding your heart, taking your heart of stone, turning it to a heart of flesh. And I'll leave today with the same thing I the other day I said. Ask God to show himself to you. He's big enough. And he'll do it in a way that makes sense to you. You don't have to go through what I went through. You don't have to go where I went. God will meet you where you are. So that's a result of an old man's meanderings through his mind at 4.30 in the morning. I hope there was something here of use to you. I love what my wife said here. Uh, when she wrote letters to me in boot camp prior to my conversion, uh, she wrote the Gospel of John to me. And it was it was that gospel, those letters that I read, that were all part of the process that drew me to him. I wasn't nearly in charge of my life as much as I thought I was. In fact, I wasn't in charge at all. And I'm okay with that. Well, that's it. Mr. G, my coffee. I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.